and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we are going to go to we're going to go to the Divas concert and go watch her sing. You'll figure it out. We're then going to go and go to our shift as a cab driver, and uh, you know, I guess find this like really sexy lady that falls into our cab. But you know, regardless of all that, though, today we're going to be covering 1997's The Fifth Element. Now, I couldn't just do this alone, though. And not at all. I needed to bring someone in here who actually gave me the idea to do this movie. Um, and so I thought, what better way to bring someone on who really likes it? So he is a, a mixed media artist. He is a filmmaker. Uh, he is also the original host and now co-host and creator of the Spectre Cinema Club, which is a fabulous podcast that you should go watch and listen to and everything. Uh, but please welcome to the podcast, Devon Taylor. Devon, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Live streaming uh, straight from Ruby Rod's cane for this exactly. episode. Uh, right. where, where, uh, when, when are the influencers going to get a hold of one of those things? Uh, I really don't I'm, know. I'm actually kind of shocked. I know exactly like I will get into Ruby Rod and all that kind of stuff <laughs> oh my Jesus Christ but a little bit of history with me and Devon so you know uh we are literally on different coasts of the United States but I came familiar with you because you had done an episode of the Horror Queers podcast shout out Horror Queers and you did the Neon Demon which I'd never heard of in my life one of and, my all-time favorites yes and so but it was the holiday watch along in October mm-hmm. so uh they did uh, the Horror Queers last October did a watch along where every single day was a different category suggested by podcasts that had either been on or they're friendly with or whatever. And Spectre Cinema was one of those. So um, I think you guys had done Fuck Them Kids or something <laughs> like that. Yes, um, we did. Yes, we did. Yes. Uh, it was uh, that was my so this that was the uh, luckily for me a second time I got to be included on their calendar of yes. two years ago. I chose Gratuitous Blood. And then uh, for the previous one, yeah, we did Fuck Them Kids because it's a running gag that me and Garrett have going on our pod where we, you know, have a very uh, little empathy for children getting killed in in horror movies because, hey, they're they're people just like the rest of us, you know, so like if you want to have proper stakes. You gotta be. Uh, you can't be afraid to go there, and that's also a, a proclivity that Trace and Joe also share with me as well. So it, it was uh, the the perfect square for for that one. Yeah, love those boys. Yeah, they're great. I'm definitely trying to get on their pod at some point. Uh, you know, hey, please answer my emails. But anyway, so I. Uh, but yeah, I for that though I. I think I was going to watch Color Out of Space, which I still have not watched because that movie is long as shit. But anyway, I did end up watching Village of the Damned, uh, which is great and in its own right, I guess. And we definitely messaged back and forth about how horrible the wigs were um, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But we also just have been like DMing back and forth. Uh, we've talked about Starry Eyes, another one of your favorites um, and all that. And also, I was just like, hey, like, you seem cool and chill. Like, you want to just come on my show? Because I think you'd be a great guest. And you were like, sure. And so I asked you, because I always tell my guests, anybody who comes on, with the exception of my sister, I guess, because she just will watch whatever. But (laughs) I was like, what do you want to do? Like, if you're going to come on, I'm not going to choose for you because I'd rather you be like, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And so you chose this movie in particular, The Fifth Element. Now, I'll let you start, but what is your history with this movie? Why would you want to come on here and talk about this movie? Because I know you normally do horror, so this is a little bit of a departure, which is good. I always like that. But mm-hmm. 
what is your history with it? Why do you like this movie a lot? And, you know, I then will share mine, I guess. Yeah, I love this movie. And yeah, I'm typically a horror guy, obviously, and I go on many other horror podcasts. So anytime I get the opportunity that's a podcast that's not strictly horror, I'm like, oh, okay, I can like show that I do watch other movies. Um, and it, obviously, you know, sci-fi gets grouped in with genre film as a whole. You know, if you kind of think of horror, fantasy, and sci-fi, they're all genre film. So still somewhat um, in a tangential umbrella there. And uh, this was a movie I, I remember watching super young. And uh, like, I remember just immediately getting captivated by the, the opera singing diva. And uh, it, but the, the thing with the fifth element was, is uh, I hope that your uh, fan base aren't too big of Star Wars fans, because I'm going to backhanded uh, shit on that movie a couple times throughout this movie. We can do uh, that, Devon. Don't worry. I don't get it either. <laughs> Because um, I like Star Wars. I think Star Wars is cool. But like one, the fans have kind of made me dislike it more than anything. But that's been a more recent thing. But whenever I was younger and like uh, watching movies with my cousins and stuff, they were big Star Wars fans and they'd always put it on. And I remember thinking for a while that Fifth Element was a Star Wars movie. Like whenever I was like super young, I would get them confused. Uh, but then this was always the one I wanted to watch. I was like, no, I want to watch the fifth element. Or they were like, which Star Wars movie you want to watch? I'm like, fifth element. Like, that's not a Star Wars movie. I'm like, it's not. What? What? Because, I mean, you know, for everything that, you know, Star Wars is praised for being this sprawling space opera and stuff. Uh, it is, but it's also, it takes itself a little too seriously. So I really love that the fifth element uh, it really injects the fun into this premise and this one, not as much as a, a you know space adventure like Star Wars. This is like a space noir movie in a way, uh, with uh, Corbin Dallas kind of being the the unwitting person that kind of gets looped into stuff, and just uh, the the production design, the music, the score behind it, uh, everything just really works. The, the 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 costume designs, like there's so many amazing looks with uh, the different aliens and costumes and stuff. Like there's just so much movie like this was one of the first times whenever i was younger that i was like this is a movie movie you know like there's just it's it's very cinematic and it's just it packs so much into this two hour and just like every aspect of it is cinematic i completely agree with what you're saying um so yeah i recently just watched this like you know just for this pod obviously but my history i would say so thanks for sharing your history i do appreciate that so this is not a young person thing for me i was too busy watching jawbreaker okay and like <laughs> romy michelle okay but anyway so i i would say the first time i probably watched this was i was at a um <clears throat> gentleman caller's house at one point and uh, after one of the mornings that we like were um hooking up to Together. we were watching a movie or he was putting on one of the movies that he had or something and it was the fifth element and he was like have you ever seen this and i was like no i've never seen it and so i just was like all right cool i guess i'll bet your house and i'll watch this movie with you and i think there was somebody else there like with his roommate or something like that but anyway i watched it and i really i mean i liked it i wasn't like head over heels for it like at first because i was like okay so it's bruce willis and then Mila Jovovich, I guess. And then is that Chris Rock or Chris Tucker? Like, wait, what who is this? Then as time has gone on, and that was like years ago now, you know, now I can appreciate like how like, phenomenal the cast is. Costumes by Jean-Paul Gaultier himself. Craziness. And just, I like how this movie has this fun sci-fi adventure kind of thing going on, but then also 
has a level of camp in here that I don't know if Luke Besson is aware of, but it's very much there, uh, which is right up my alley. And I love that. So yeah, no, that's definitely my history with it. Um, and of course I feel bad now with Bruce Willis dealing with his like, you know, kind of health issues at the moment. God damn it. Is he good in this movie? Mm-hmm. Like, it's great. <laughs> and I also think too, it works for my show because this is both a movie that, People loud and are like, this is great. Like, it got nominated for an Oscar, technically. It got nominated for a BAFTA. But it also has bad critiques of it. And also was, like, uh, nominated for a Razzie and shit like that. And so I think it's very polarizing. And I think that's why it kind of fits into that cult area, in a way. Because you have people who are um, adamant supporters of it. But then there's also people who are like, I fucking hate that movie. Which is perfect for me. So that's exactly why. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of sits in a weird, like, middle ground in a way. Because... It's a, you know, it's a cult film as far as like it being um, a movie that people find underappreciated maybe, but this isn't like a cult film that like people are dressing up as, you know, uh, you know, in costume going to the screenings. It's like not one of those ones, um, except I mean, Lilu is a pretty popular uh, costume. I've seen cosplayed around, but this one kind of has that like every few years. Uh, it'll kind of have like a surge where people are like oh yeah remember like how good the fifth element was like look at like you know the the big bombasticness that we were getting in 1997 that like i mean still few films you know in the past 25 years have still kind of reached uh the the kind of scope and scale of this movie so it's like uh, i feel like it's one of those ones that and again because it does have that that star wars kind of shadow hanging over it i feel like it does just kind of continuously uh get discounted and like left out of uh, those conversations but like this is the this is the yassified star wars and like that's why it's perfect you know like the the level of camp is uh there there's no way that the the level of camp in here wasn't intentional like i you know luke he's a, a very uh, artsy french guy you know he he understands he knows what's going on and uh, and I love just the, the the commitment that it has. And I know that I guess some of the the, the silliness and stuff is uh, people might not take this movie as seriously, especially with the that the big climactic ending and like the 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 story, the, you know, the the message that they're kind of hammering over this that you know, like no, we shouldn't destroy everything we need to love and you know, life and all these things. So it like kind of has a, a little bit of a cheese ball quality to it a little bit, but it's also genuinely committed to that though. Like it's very earnest in in what it's doing. Like it doesn't feel like it's like trying to be cartoony. It's like no, like we are kind of being genuine about this, and it's like and it's okay to have fun with this again. Like I feel like sci-fi got so serious especially in the 90s uh sci-fi movies became just like really serious all the time it's like hey we can have fun you know i agree i agree and i think like you know there's only so many sci-fi movies i kind of fucks with like that i mean alien is definitely one where i'm like oh it's amazing and there's that and even something like event horizon which i think is very underrated but i think is a fantastic like space horror movie space horror sci-fi movie um also 1997 good year for oh sam neill uh we'll we'll talk about him in another (laughs) episode but anyway uh but as we normally do in the show we'll go through um some figures of the movie a little bit about the production of that i'm sure you have some stuff to add to that as well and then we'll also get into just a plot summary of this film as well so let's move on to our figures so as you stated this 
uh, was directed by Luc Besson. It was written by him and also Robert Mark Kamen, and it was produced by Patrice Ledeau. Uh, so this is also a French and like American like co-production, pretty much, mm-hmm. because Luc is a French dude. Uh, this was released May 7th of 1997, so when this episode's going to drop, this is around that same time, which is always fun. We're looking at an estimated budget of about 90 to $93 million, which is insane, and we're looking at a box office of $63 million, $20,180 for the US and Canada, and then a gross worldwide of $263,920 and $180, pretty much. So the big idea is that in the States, this flopped technically, but I think it was the French folks who were like, hell yeah, French people, and we're going to like go see this, I guess. And maybe mm-hmm. the Europeans or whomever else, I guess, were like, hey, we'll, we'll fucks with this a little bit more. Because I just even looking at that, I'm like, wow, yeah, if we're looking at a $90 million budget like 63 million just in the states mm-hmm. but you know they came through i guess <laughs> yeah yeah totally flopped in the states which is kind of wild i mean i'm again like the the landscape of 97 that we were like just like because i feel like uh especially like once like the matrix happens in a couple of years that's when people are really starting to get back on board with sci-fi stuff so I feel like it just maybe uh was a, a couple of years too early because like it overall it you know, did that tripled tripled its budget. So that's about uh, breaking even really essentially when you think of um, budget and then uh, marketing and everything and then making a profit. So it's like it barely made a profit. And then it's like goes to one of those things that's like, hey, look, when you spend a bunch of money on this original idea, you're not going to make the money. And I feel like that really sucks because it's like we didn't get more of these kind of big expansive movies like this you know this was not based off of anything this was uh luke Besson like wrote this when he was a teenager and like developed it for 20 years like that's you know in- insane it is yeah and i don't know i think spice world was a little too early i guess so i could say i'm just <laughs> going to see spice world but now people were seeing like i don't know the fucking lost world for jurassic park or they were like doing whatever the hell we were doing in 97 i guess i don't know i was there but i was like a baby so not really but whatever <laughs> we're looking at a 71 percent on rotten tomatoes and an 86 percent audience score um and then imdb score of 7.6 out of 10 and an imdb score of 3.7 out of 5 and so for our cast we have bruce willis as corbin dallas mila jovovich as lilu gary oldman as john batiste emmanuel zorg or just zorg ian holm as Vito Cornelius, the priest, Chris Tucker as Ruby Rod, uh, Luke Perry in the beginning of the movie as Billy Masterson, Brian James as General Monroe, Tommy Tiny Lister Jr. as President Lindbergh, Lee Evans as Fogg, Charlie Creed Miles as David. Uh, we then have Ivan Hang as left arm and Tricky as right arm, who I guess are like, I don't know, I think they work for like Zorg or something. We have John Neville uh, as General Stoddart, who, funny enough, if I'm not mistaken, was also the dean in Urban legend so it's kind of funny that he was in this movie beforehand i was like okay john neville john blue towel as professor piccoli and then my Wen labasco as the diva who literally was married to the director i think for a minute and then he broke up with her to go with mila Jovovich. so that's fun i love that um no 
I think that happened. We are looking at some critical response quotes. So we have Jeff Andrews from Time Out, so maybe a gay, who states, Bassan's futuristic fable is flawed by a messy narrative, which strains to incorporate far too many grotesque and eccentric characters. We then have Dwayne Berg from The Hollywood Reporter, who states, narratively challenged, visually monotonous, and orally overpowering, the fifth element is a staggering accretion of all the wrong elements and some rather dopey ones as well. And then we have Mm -hmm. Zaki Hayson from Zaki corner who states aside from Bassan's impressive directorial or panache or panache always providing something eye-catching and original to look at there is little else about the fifth element that is particularly noteworthy I always like reading the fun like stupid bad comments or whatever because why not interesting those are some interesting assessments to it because I mean narratively I mean there's it's a very simple story like it's it's a simple story it's just like but it's it's that it's that noir again it's like the the mashing of subgenres just might not work because like that noir format where it's just like oh okay you got all these different characters that kind of intersect at different points and they all want the same thing but only certain people are on the same page so it like kind of creates that confusion but like the story itself is like pretty damn simple we need the stones she's the key we gotta we gotta defeat the evil planet that's like coming towards earth like it's very simple so i find it interesting that people would kind of complain about the 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 narrative aspect of it when it's like yeah it's pretty pretty straightforward and like it's mainly for you know to like get you know just the the visuals and like to i mean like the the amount of time that was like put into just like the details in that uh opening chase scene like through uh futuristic brooklyn like when you just like look around and see all the little details that they like put in for this like these are the things that like um he was like kind of trying to explore like for me personally whenever i watch movies i'm a more world building based type of person uh i could kind of care less about the plot sometimes uh i i'm more about uh vibing out in that world and you really get you know put into this and there's so much texture in this world so like I find it odd that, you know, the the excess of it is kind of complained about. I can agree. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of, the thing is, is that the story is simple for the very fact that this guy, Luke Bassan, and I'll get to it in my production history, but like he wrote this when he was 16, as you stated earlier, and then he developed it for 20 years. So yeah, some of these things are fairly simple where you're like, oh, it was, I love how uh, the Nostalgia Critic does a video on this movie. And he says, huh, written by a 16-year-old, eh? I'm like, yeah, we can kind of tell with some of the stuff where you're like, yeah, that still is around. But, you know, overall, he did try to, I think, mature it up in a little bit of a way. But there are some parts where you can be like, okay, yeah, like this was written by a 16-year-old, wasn't it? Hmm, okay. That doesn't take away from it, though, I don't think. But maybe for some people it does. Who knows? We'll get into a little bit of the production. So as we stated, so as a teenager, Bassan, living in France, I guess, um, envisioned the world of the fifth element to just kind of pass the time and not be bored, I guess. So he began writing this at 16, although this wasn't really released until he was like 38. So he had developed the story, I guess, and also brought brought in the other screenwriter to kind of help finesse it, I'm sure, as well. But the original story was actually set in the year 2300, um, and it was about a nobody named um, Zaltman Baloros, I believe, or he was then renamed Corbin Dallas. Um, he wins a trip to Club Med Resort on the uh, planet uh, Flossed in Paradise, which still stays in this movie, in the Angel Constellation. He then meets Lilu, a sand girl who has the beauty of youth, uh, despite being over 2,000 years old. So that was the original story, and then, of course, he 
finessed it uh, a little bit differently. But he worked on it for a couple of different years. And then by 1991, he had had a documentary come out called Atlantis, and that was released. He had like a 400-page script, which is why this movie is like two hours long, because I'm sure he had to cut it down. Um, But uh, what ended up happening, though, is that um, a guy by the name of Nicholas uh, Sedoy and Patrice uh, Patrice Ledoy um, from Gamont were the first people who actually took on this project and in 1991 while looking for actors for the movie he actually brought on um, some fresh comic creators to actually help kind of like get together this production design for this movie and it appears that that's really what helped like inspire these comics he saw helped inspire what ended up looking and what it ended up being uh, futuristic New York and our future in general um, in this movie. I I really like uh, that this movie like kind of brings in all these different artistic elements that that Bassan is intru- interested in uh like kind of similar like a Jim Jarmusch like uh Luke Bassan like really is a he he take he soaks in art from like everywhere yeah. so I love that he was like okay for the production design let me get these comic book artists and then Jean-Paul Gaultier like you know one of the hottest names in fashion at the time he's an absolute you know legend uh to get that in so it's like really uh, this is like a hodgepodge of different artistic elements going on. Yes, absolutely. So there's that. And then, so as you stated, John Paul Gaultier was brought in and, you know, made the uh, outfits for this movie. Um, and then in terms of casting, he really only had two people in mind. He wanted either Mel Gibson or Will Bruce Willis. I'm glad he went with Bruce Willis because oh, Mel time. Gibson is a piece of trash. But anyway, so he was a little apprehensive, though, because Hudson Hawk, who he had just been in, and Billy Bathgate, which two movies movies that didn't do very well um Mm. so they were like all right let's do this and i think gibson actually turned the role down anyway so bruce willis like was kind of just in there which is thank goodness it all worked out for the best it really did (laughs) and so then okay like luke bassan he's doing his thing and he then makes a little movie called leon the professional with a young natalie portman in it and that movie did fairly well and i think also helped secure him being able to bring this together because if i'm not mistaken like that movie did pretty well critically if i'm not mistaken i don't remember if it was like nominated for awards and stuff like that but leon the professional is probably aside from the fifth element is Bassan's one of his like most notable like films he did so and he has a lot of people who like it pretty much they were like all right hey look like we want you to do this we want you to do your little space film or whatever but we're going to uh reduce your budget to 90 million dollars you cannot have more than that okay (laughs) and so Columbia Pictures ended up financing the movie for him and so yeah yeah so they ended up going with Bruce Willis who again was a known person obviously but I think also too they were gonna have other people who were a little less expensive so at this time like Mila Jovovich for example she out of like two or three hundred people were brought in but she was a lesser known name technically she had been in Days of Confused and maybe a few other things before that before she was in this but I personally Mm -hmm. would say this was really a big break for her because Days of Confused was not exactly a a critical thing either Um, I mean people liked it I covered it but you know it's one of these things where I think this really shot her to then it makes sense where she then went on to do the Brisbane Evil movies she went on to um, do all the stuff that Mila Jovovich has done so she's an icon and I love her but yeah so she was brought in I kind of wonder who else was considered for Lilo though because I mean, she does so well in this yeah thinking thinking of who it would have been at the time i mean maybe like a jennifer Connolly could have 
pulled it off. I would say maybe that'd be the only other person, but like, yeah, Mila was just so perfectly casted. Um, I mean, uh, between her and Haley Williams, uh, my love for fake redheads was ignited very early on uh, for me. Uh, I mean, she looks gorgeous in this, but like she also, you know, she plays that, that the, the, the all knowingness, but then also still kind of still learning like that, that like duo of it. Uh, she plays it super well, but also very funny that, so she ends up marrying Luke Besson uh, in 97. So somewhere around the time that this movie comes out, ni- this movie comes out in 97. We already mentioned Event Horizon also came out in 1997, directed by her future husband, Paul W.S. Anderson weird very weird makes no sense but it all kind of works out <laughs> together also i would have had Jovovich if she wasn't already in this movie she could have been in event horizon that would have been fine and then and then even like gary oldman so this is before he was serious black but i think he was kind of a i'm sure he was a known actor but i think he was just kind of like i don't know i, mean, I don't know was, how famous he was i mean he was like he, he was a pretty like well-known character actor like even at this point because this is post dracula and which was like kind of really what got him in genre people's minds uh but then like and he also had true romance like a few years earlier uh with you know a super memorable cameo so like uh he he was doing stuff and like you know from the in the late 80s early 90s so it was almost like kind of odd that it was like oh he's like kind of this like up and coming like you know like he, he was like an up and coming prestige actor but then he was also appearing in you know tony scott's true romance and coppola's dracula so it's like he had like this prestige element to him but then he was working with all these like very artsy directors at the time also which i guess we could throw luke Besson into there of course too so that makes sense yeah no totally i i always think of gary oldman not in a bad way but he reminds me of like the male helena bonham carter because probably they're both british (laughs) so i'm like i'm kind of here for them like they both could do like weird wacky roles but then also like they've done the merchant ivory shit you know what i mean so i'm kind of like yeah. all right like cool let's go with it and they both read yeah. harry potter so that's fun too <laughs> yeah he he has a he has an interesting uh reach as far as like yeah he's might be your grandpa's favorite actor from jfk but then he could also uh be a film bro's favorite uh person from yeah. true romance so it's like he kind of occupies this like interesting area but uh, and Bruce Willis yeah. too, just I think is absolutely perfect. He mm. was, you know, he was his name was like kind of uh, fading a little bit in the '90s. Like he was, he was also kind of, um, you know, going into taking a little bit more chances with stuff like Death Becomes Her and Pulp Fiction a few years before. So he was like kind of uh, getting outside his typical action shtick and kind of dipping his toes in a in some more genre esque places. And I think that works out perfectly here, where you kind of do have him as that. Cl- classic action guy but then he is very charming and like uh, but the way he like kind of reacts to the world around him that he's like he's like still a 90s action guy but living in 20 uh 23 18 or whatever so it's like uh that that dichotomy works out really well but like i'm gonna say it i think this is the hottest bruce willis has ever really been in a movie like this, this, this slutty orange tank top that he's rocking for the first half of the movie, the yeah. boots are slaying. Like he yes. looks fucking damn good in this. And he like, looks great. the way that he speaks, like they really weaponize like his like very like calm grizzled voice and like his charm and stuff. Like he's really sexy all around in this movie. <laughs> I know he really is. Thank God you're queer, Devon, because I mean we need to. Start I mean, everyone like, in this movie is hot. 
like everyone really this are. is a this is a very horny hot movie like I even mean, even zorg i mean i guess so yeah i'll go with zorg shit, he's not? rocking the he's rocking his shiny pinstripe suit i respect it and then like whenever yeah. ruby rod's being all creepy with the flight attendants it, 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 creepy but at the same time like damn his skin and lips look really good i was like god damn everybody in this movie looks really hot i know i know it's so crazy i've never thought um, chris tucker was hot ever i know right i mean <laughs> I, hey well you know it's fine and his whole character too i mean i don't know why they cast him exactly i mean i'm sure it was like i think it was literally between him and jamie uh fox if i'm not mistaken I'm cool mm. with this you know it would have worked but yeah i'm just like he's also named after like a periodic table element which is really fun so i think that's cool he's uh, uh i've noticed ruby rod is like a, a a divider for people of this movie uh i feel like the people that love it are the ones that are like yeah no ruby rod's cool but then uh when people dislike this movie almost one of the first things they'll mention is how much they hate ruby rod so it's like it, it's kind of you know you got to have that little wild card character in here yeah but i think that's also supposed to be by design i think ruby rod is made to be not oh, that i think yeah, not that Luke Besson was like predicting the future or whatever, but he is very much like this influencer before influencer was a thing. And, you know, it was obviously like, it's so funny that now it's like, yeah, no, there are people who literally for a living, oh, I don't know, talking to a, a microphone and I hope that people listen to them. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, uh, but there's people who, you know, are YouTubers and who are streamers and like all this stuff. And so he was doing that back then, which I thought was really interesting and you know, it's just interesting how that kind of came up, but he is by design supposed to be annoying. So yeah, why not? I'm co totally cool. And he's like kind of queer as hell because I'm like, okay, so you're eating out the flight attendant. Okay. Got it. Who everything, those flight attendants, you're also like really flamboyant and I can't tell what's going on. So like, I can't help, but like think, okay, this must be some kind of queerness. I don't know. Oh, he's, he's gotta be, I mean, I mean, Ruby is especially, but he kind of is like a representative of like this, uh, this open kind of pansexual nature of this movie, because you got to think about it, it's like they are not only, you know, uh, intercoursing with each other, but it's like, you know, that other species are, you know, fucking each other too. like people are hooking up with aliens and humans and all these things. So it's like, really, there's kind of a whole just like pansexual vibe in general with this of just like, yeah, no, anybody can be with anybody. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, totally. And yeah, I can agree with that for sure. So yeah, a little bit about like just the production of this movie. So it took about 21 weeks to film with the actors and all that, because of course this is both, it's a mix of like, you know, having these live actors in here, then you have characters, um, creatures that are made obviously by CGI and special effects. Then you have all the CGI of this whole fucking movie uh, because it's futuristic. So flying cars, the whole thing. But yeah, it seems like a lot of this was done in London. It was very much a European type of thing. Um, so London, I'm pretty sure they also did the opera scene at the Royal Opera House as well. And yeah, a couple different places. And I think they even went to apparently they were supposed to be in Egypt in the beginning. They went to Mauritania to kind of get that same thing, which I'm sure was maybe cheaper to like, you know, shoot mm. there or whatever. Uh, but this was because it 
even though it was filmed in London, it was a French movie because the guy's French and it's just a co-production, I guess. So actually, I might have, I might be wrong about that. I think this was just a French production. Might have not even been a co-production with the US. We just happened to get it. So it just so happened to have actors of ours in it. Yeah, I think um, it was a it, it was mainly a French production, but then it was like a, a you know, co-distributed with with American companies. But this was the costliest at the time. It was the costliest European movie ever made, which makes sense. I don't know what $90 million is in pounds or whatever the fuck they use over there but i'm sure it was a lot but anyway so yeah i mean there's that kind of thing the soundtrack of this movie is really good and it also did really well we of course have like the diva dance at the end um near the end of the movie i guess and so that's of course one of the iconic pieces of this film intercut with lilu kicking some ass while this is happening which is like really really good and yeah, and of course, we also know, too, that like, for example, Mila Jovovich ended up doing this movie. She had a whole language that she learned from Luc Besson of this actual character <laughs> who's this alien. So she went and learned it. And literally, that's really cool of her. I want her to just win like a really great award and like get an Oscar at some point because I know it's in there somewhere, maybe. I don't know. You know, it, it's funny that we have obviously for like horror, we have uh, you know screen queens as like kind of someone that you know does a lot of horror stuff, and it's like kind of iconic. We don't really have that for uh, for sci-fi, and Mia uh, has been um, you know tearing it up in the sci-fi sphere for pretty much her entire career. She's made all of her money, bread and butter, obviously you know anchoring the Resident Evil movies, but Ultraviolet comes a little bit after this. You also have and uh, you know just multiple things. So it's like we need. We need a, a term for for the for the sci-fi queens, you know, out there because uh, but because Mila, she she deserves her flowers. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I mean, there's only so many of those folks who I could even think of. I mean, of course, Carrie Fisher is somebody who she was already born to a famous family anyway, but like she is definitely known as that person. Rest in peace, of course. But yeah, no, totally. I'm sure that there's people who you know are in like the star wars or the star trek fandom and maybe they get that kind of treatment kind of like our horror gals do which i'm hoping and it also kind of mixes too i think you do have some people who who have both uh i think of someone like a uh i don't know if she's really done like specific sci-fi or whatever but like someone like a katie cassidy i think you know she's like a screen queen slash like she could also be in that horror uh sci-fi sphere a little bit just because mm-hmm. she's on arrow and shit like that which is i guess is more like superhero stuff yeah. but then what is superheroes is that its own thing or is that sci-fi it's like you true know, true you get into I mean, all that too but i mean anyway. sigourney weaver in there too you know she's oh, definitely yes, yes you know uh sci-fi sci-fi mama that's what we'll that's what we'll call them for now she's the living one (laughs) yeah she's the living one if anything um but yeah well willis talks good about this movie in a 1999 interview he did say it was a real fun thing to make i think jovovich also liked it and chris tucker liked it uh they seem to be cool with it and of course like jovovich said that you know she thought Bazan was like the first really amazing director that she'd worked with because you obviously then end up marrying him for a little bit. So I guess it was good. And then um, we also know, of course, that Gary Oldman hates this movie kind of, <laughs> or he has at least said like he, yeah, I mean, it was a job for him, I'm sure, but you know, it, it, it's always funny because you know, those, those, uh, you know, because he, I feel like he's like one of those actors that like gets it that like, okay, if I want to be able to keep doing my like weird artsy shit, then like I gotta do, you know, the the money makers here and there. And I, 
I think he was probably under the assumption that this was going to be like a like real big blockbuster. Um, and it uh, unfortunately wasn't for that. Uh, wasn't that, but you know, but but he is a professional. You can't say that he isn't still trying in this movie. He is not phoning it in whatsoever. He's giving you a weird accent. He's twitching his eye and like doing all sorts of like very weird performance things. So it's like uh, I love that. Even though if he's not a fan of it, he's like still like no, I'm a fucking actor and I'm gonna act. Damn it. Yeah, no, totally. Like I can totally agree with that as well. Like Gary Oldman's so good and he is a very good actor and and all that. But you know, for him to say. He's at a point in his career where he could say that. To tease a little bit, we might be doing an episode together on a certain movie on your pod. But as I stated before, like, you know, that particular movie we're going to cover, we're going to talk about it and how one of the actresses in it said that she doesn't really like the movie she was in, but she did it and that's good for her. But, you know, I, I completely agree. I think especially Gary Oldman is already fucking like gary oldman so he could say what he wants i guess yeah i mean they're they're entitled you know as much as like you know there's a lot of actors out there that are just like oh i'm very appreciative for everything like you mm-hmm. know they at a certain point you can start being like hey like yeah. even though i did this and like you know i'm a professional but like yeah it, they don't always uh end up being the best and they're not always your favorite thing but uh but i'm glad that um at least uh bruce and uh mila uh are, are happy with this you know because i again like it 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 was very it's so fun kind of seeing bruce really have a lot of fun in this movie like he he looks like he's a, a little bit just like more laid back and like kind of uh, a loosey-goosey a little bit in this one in a very good way yeah no i agree for sure like i just think he has a lot more fun and yeah it's that's why this is a and i think that's why it is kind of this like cult movie that like you know it didn't do great when it came out technically but i think people were like I don't know what the fuck this is supposed to be, but like, I'm kind of here for it. Like, you know, and that's why you watch it over and over again. Mm-hmm. You can't help but look at these outfits and be like, what the fuck? But like, it's so high fashion and couture. Like, all right, like, let's do it. Like, it's something where I'm just like, you know, as you were saying before, a little bit with Star Wars, you're like, mm, okay. I never understood that myself. And I'm, a, I'm really a sci fi person that much anyway. I'm much more of a horror person, but there is a little bit of overlap there. But, you know, I, I definitely think that, like, yeah, I enjoyed myself watching this and like you know there's not a ton of movies like this anymore anyway um because then you had i never seen it i don't know you may have i don't know uh valerian which was the other mm-hmm. movie that luke Besson did which i think was not very well regarded at all if uh, it's uh it's not great it's definitely him trying to recapture some of that magic um that one is based off of a uh like french graphic novel that he was a big fan of um and that and that is supposed to be the story that actually inspired star wars the movies because the the this graphic novel came out like back in like i don't know like the 50s or 60s um so this was apparently what truly inspired star wars but then star wars did its own thing and then this movie coming out a couple years before the prequel started uh for star wars as well so it's like this is you know so at the time star wars only had the original trilogy that was like pretty much like cemented as iconic at that point like it didn't really have the prequels to kind of divide the fans just yet so it's like people really held star wars movies on like such a high regard and uh and uh the one thing i'll say about valerian is it's it's fine it's 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 interesting to look at and everything and it's fun um but that is what happens when you completely miscast your movies 
like, oh my goodness, like Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne, which I love them both. And like when they're in, when they're, you know, in employed properly, but like Dane DeHaan was supposed to be like the, like the Corbin Dallas, essentially. He's supposed to be like this, like cool, hot shot, like cocky, you know, badass. Um, you you like, may as well put Timothy soldier. Chalamet up in there. I mean, really, I'm supposed to it, believe, and I've never seen Dune, but like, I'm supposed to believe that this guy's a badass. Are you kidding me? Really? I think, oh. I mean, I haven't watched Dune yet either, but from my understanding, he's more of a moody boy than a, supposed to be like a badass. Like in Valerian, this guy is supposed sure. to be like a, like, right. he's supposed He's supposed to be even cooler than Corbin Dallas and Valerian. Exactly. And uh, right. Dane DeHaan just did not bring that. Him and Delavine have no chemistry whatsoever. So, like, that's a, a good yeah. example of being like, you can put a lot of things in place, but if you miscast those uh, roles, you're you're kind of screwed. And like that that again is part of the magic of this movie. That when you look at all the names on this ensemble, it's just like, uh, like who who are you? Like, what was the casting director? Uh, you know, what was their list when they were kind of like, you know, filling these things out and then kind of piecing together this interesting ensemble that just happened to work out really well. Yeah, exactly. And so, oh gosh, like, you know, we have we, we to talk about that stuff because it's within, it's not canon or anything, but it's definitely like, oh, Basan, you did good with this at least, buddy. There you go. But, you know, don't ever do that again. Ugh. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so, and then you have some people who, you know, have said, so like, you'll either love or loathe the fifth element and all that in some circles. I'm going to read this from my notes, but the film has gained a so bad it's good status. Also, apparently, mm. uh, somebody from IO9, uh, Meredith Warner, uh, listed the fifth element as one of the uh, 20 best worst science fiction films of all time, which I'm like, okay, I but... I see what they're saying, I guess, if you're like a hardcore sci-fi person, but I'm like, yeah, this is still fun, though. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, People need to stop being so serious. No, like, I, I don't get it because... I mean, there's because I, I take umbrage when when anytime when people are very dramatic about calling something the the worst movie ever or one of the worst. It's like, do you realize how many movies there are in the world? Do you know how many of them are made by nobody people with nothing budgets? And you want to say that like some you're gonna like look at this and like even if like you know narratively and tone wise it doesn't work for you, gotta at least like look at it and be like the filmmaking is like is there. So it's like when you see this production design and all the the effort put into it and the visuals and stuff it's very hard to say that this is a bad movie because it's not like it's got too many competent and good things working for it to be called that but so it's just like I, I just really hate when people just don't say hey this tone is not for me or this is not the sci-fi that I'm looking for because like in this movie they're not they're not exploring any like you know new species or like uh, any of the new technology that they introduced it's in they're not the fighting movie. aliens necessarily they're, they're not, not like... fighting aliens it's a, it's so it's none of those like usual things and not to say that they're not in there like when you look at the details and like there's all these interesting little futuristic gadgets and ideas and stuff it's there it's just just not the primary focus so i guess that this being a sci-fi movie uh being about how love saves the world uh, might disappoint you know the the more like uh, the science nerds you know and i'm a science sure. nerd but this is not what i come to this movie for exactly and listen okay um in about a month or so i'm gonna be covering another movie beloved by a lot of people baps okay and i'm gonna be doing that and you know i also will probably talk about on there that like 
that movie is perfectly good and it's not that bad at all. And I think one of the reasons for that, and we'll get into it with who I'm going to be bringing on for that. I think the reason that movie flopped and did bad critically is because it wasn't made for white people. Okay. That's the kind of big reason that perhaps mm-hmm. didn't do good because the reviewers that did that were all white. So like, but in the black community, like, no, people love that movie. And they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, Halle Berry, Natalie DeSales, like, you know, like, and you're telling me that that movie or the fifth element is worse than the scariest 61st. Really? Really? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you're, you're telling me that this is worse than the hip hop, witch. Okay? <laughs> like you're telling me this is worse than Veronica, Devon Ex- Veronica. Like exactly. Right? So like I I it, huh. I mean and it's more of a I mean I I feel like we see it more now obviously with like Twitter that people like to like speak in big you know blanket statements but it's interesting that like you know critics were even still kind of talking about that in this way back in 97. Like have you seen Veronica? Like have you seen what Glenn Dancing did? Like, and this is my second time talking about Veronica because I can't deal with it, but also because he's a piece of shit. And like, also he literally like was like, I'm just going to go to Skid Row and like, you know, just save on production costs and you're in LA. So like, you could only imagine you're just like, really dude, like you went to a really horrible part of LA because you wanted to save money on your movie. And that's really horrible. And that's based off your weird comics or like, yeah, it's just, it, but this is a bad movie. People think this is a bad movie. I'm just like, is it perfect? No, but like, is it that shit? No. It's like this movie has like, you know, we'll put more effort into one scene than, you know, some other entire movie. So like, again, to like say that this is one of the best bad movies, I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. get that at all, but I don't quite get it. But it's like, what? Because the tone is silly and it's campy and it's cheeky. Like, uh, again, it's like, right. uh, but in the '90s, so much of the sci-fi was just so serious, and like, I love that this movie is like, no, we're just gonna like kind of have a little adventure, you know? We're gonna have some, we're gonna have some, uh, you know, misunderstandings. We're gonna have some double crosses. We're gonna have, you know, uh, a literal, like you said, like the the climactic, you know, one of the big action set pieces, you know, comes during a literal space opera uh, that we have in this movie. So it's like, you know, this movie is like hey all sci-fi doesn't need to be gritty and like you know the you know uh you know bleak and end of the world i mean this is end of the world in this movie but again it's not uh played in the traditional like sci-fi sense i feel like just too many people again like it's you got to get on a movie's wavelength and if the movie's wavelength then for you that doesn't make the movie bad that just means Hey, it's not giving you what, not what you want, you know, out of this. And like, for me, this is like, uh, like as much as I like a, you know, very uh, highbrow scientific premise to something, you know, I like my Black Mirror episodes, you know, whenever, but that's for that. Uh, but for this, if I want a true, you know, like just space adventure, I want goofy, I want fun. And like, again, this it just plays a little bit more earnestly than star wars because even star wars like you know makes it out to be like oh we like you felt them that they were really trying to build this big world and lore and everything and like everything was you know had so much weight to it and everything and it's like no this is you know like the taxi cab driver that used to be you know this decorated soldier he's your hero now um you know and like on all these um the 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 fact that like it does like a untraditional thing like one of the facts that's thrown out about this a lot is like the hero and villain never even meet they do not uh, come face to face they are in one scene together and they don't even share like a frame in that scene they are passing 
So it's like it does so many unconventional things that like you're just not. So you're you're looking for the traditional things in this movie, and like a lot of the times you're not going to find it. Yeah, no, totally. And yeah, I mean we could go on and on about it. Like it's just these things of I don't know. I mean I get. I mean my whole show is about like so bad it's good or whatever. And you know for some folks it's like I really enjoy something like Carnival of Souls, but there's people who say that's a so bad it's good movie, and I'm just like. Are we watching the same movie? Because like, even though, yeah, the acting can be kind of wooden a little bit, it's still very atmospheric. And I think that's why horror people really like that, you know? And so, yeah, I just never really kind of got on the train of like, how is this a bad movie though? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyway, but regardless of all that, do you have anything to add about anything before we move into a plot summary about this movie that you wanted to kind of share or anything like that? No, I'm ready to, I'm ready to get into this plot. And I mean, I got like all these like little, little details I'm excited to, to unpack. Yes. Yeah. And I have my reminders app, as you may already know from any of my other episodes, <laughs> um, because sometimes I'm just like, I need to keep this in a reminders app um, so I know what actually happens. So we're now going to move to a plot summary of The Fifth Element. We start out in space because, you know, it's a space movie and we have space rocks that are coming towards us. And we have all of our like title sequence and things like that. And we see a galaxy. So that's what we have. I'm very like descriptive font. So I'm just like, what the fuck is my notes sometimes? I mean, anyway, I will say, I will say for how much I love this movie, the opening credits are incredibly boring. They are really boring. They are incredibly boring. That's like one yeah. of the few knocks I do have on this movie. So you're you're grasping there. I get it. I'm just like, okay. Uh then we see Earth, because why not Earth? And so we're in the desert. Uh, so we come down to the desert, which I guess is was done in Mauritania, but it's supposed to be Egypt because we're in a pyramid or some shit like that. And we are with some white men because, you know, just have white men. They're trying to investigate evil. So that's literally how I think of this, because we have this young guy played by Luke Perry, rest in peace, and an older guy who's there. I don't know who he's played by, but he is like doing this thing of like brushing off the dirt and stuff like that. And he's like investigating evil. He's talking about evil. It sounds like from what I understand, but he mentions something about a fifth element. Um, so he talks about again, evil. And then he's talking about, there's this fifth element that is supposed to like vanquish all this evil or whatever. And that's what they're trying to find is what it mm-hmm. seems like. Am I on the every, right track? Yes. It's, it's every 3000 years, this uh, general evil uh is supposed to come and like yeah yeah because it very much talks back and forth and like you know this is good versus evil light versus dark and like it's it talks in like those very big broad terms because again we're not trying to get into the minutiae here but yeah the the it's every three thousand years and uh the stones had been uh kept on earth uh watched over by priests for whenever the evil comes back to to use it but then the uh the 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 robot alien round boys uh, they didn't. They don't trust the humans anymore, and they say, "Okay, hey, we're actually going to take the stones back. We don't trust you guys." But the evil is coming in three hundred years, so it's a it's a three thousand year cycle. But we uh, find out at the beginning that it's uh, three hundred years out now from when this is going to happen. Right. Correct. And so then we have a monk who is coming in here now. Is this Ian Holm, or does he come in later? Because it kind of looked like him. I believe so. I think it's yeah. him, but yeah, as the, so, as the first one, yeah. as the first guy. So this is the monk. This is, I guess, Vito Cornelius. Um, the oh, actually, no, no, not Vito. Is, Vito's our guy later. This is a just totally different priest because apparently yeah. the priests 
uh, pass down the knowledge from over over time until you know the the three thousand years is up. So yeah, this exactly. is a just totally different priest. Yeah, he's just like priesting. He's monking whatever he's doing. You know, he's in like a a, a shroud or whatever the hell. Anyway, so um, he's trying to poison these men because he like gives them some kind of like tea or something like that because they're so hot under the Egyptian sun or whatever. So he's trying to poison them though because you can kind of tell like, you know, hey, he put something in here and he's trying to like kill these guys off because he's just like, the evil is just going to be so horrible. Remember everybody, this was also written by a 16 year old. So like, again, this is probably why it's like very vast and like um, broad, if anything, because evil ooh, you know so there's that you know <laughs> and, and um, I, I, I think that's great though because this is like uh you know you kind of gotta keep that youthful mind uh for this type of movie because like at the end of the day it's kind of like when you're like smashing your toys you know together and they're like oh yeah we're the aliens are coming uh so yeah uh he the the shrouded man he let the he let the the drawer guy and the explorer in Yes, but then now he has to kill them because they know too much. Well, why'd you let him in in the first place? You didn't exactly. Yeah, exactly. But they opt for wine instead, though. So he's just like, "Damn it, shit." Then we have a spaceship come down from Earth, and that's fun. Um, and so yeah, spaceship comes down to Earth, and then in my notes I have fucking monster robots, uh, Mondo Shawin, I guess, or whatever they're called. Um, they come down. They look like robot turtle guys or whatever and so they're here and so they're a species of alien i guess they're like metallic ant eaters or something yes something like that (laughs) and they come down to collect some important stones is what i have in my notes so as you stated these stones uh all represent the different elements and all that and they are kept within this uh this pyramid that they're in so yeah uh, what ends up happening though is they go into the pyramid and they're going to get these stones, but then these robots get trapped behind the wall though, um, because like the wall is closing in on them or whatever the hell. And so what ends up happening is that this priest, like you were talking about before, is then carrying on this mission because the priest is in cahoots with the Mondo Shawin. Like he knew that they were going to come mm-hmm. down and get this, and so he's just like, we have to carry on this mission, and that's how you're going to do this. So that's what the priest does, and so. Yeah, that's what happens with that. So that's our beginning of the movie. Again, that's where Luke Perry is, and that's where he stays. And so that's him. And then we go into 300 years later after this. So I don't exactly know when that was supposed to be, but I guess it was... That was in 1914. There we go. And then it picks up, yeah, 300 years later. So we're in the 2200s, Yes, we are. And so now the priest is uh, there. This is Ian Holm. This is Vito Cornelius. Mm -hmm. And he is the president of this, uh, the world, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I guess of whatever is the United States or whatever we see this as, whatever our democracy or lack thereof is in this future setting. Um, The president, who is a black man before Barack Obama. Wonderful. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, right. The priest, though, is talking to him about evil, right? Because they're talking about... Do you remember what they were talking about? Because I really don't remember exactly what they were talking so, about at the beginning. <laughs> so so we're at the point now. So the, the evil is in the form of this giant living planet that yes. is uh, the, the scientists of the, the Federated Territories is what they're called. So I guess it's, um, uh, you know, obviously it's Earth, but then the other planetary territories that yes. uh, we have expanded upon into now. Also, R.I.P. Tiny Lister Jr., uh, who plays yeah. the, the president here. 
Um, but yeah, so so they know from his scientists that the the giant planet is coming towards them, and they they don't know how to do anything except for oh we're gonna shoot at it, we're gonna try and blow it up, we're gonna do mm-hmm. this, and that just makes the planet like get bigger. Um, so that kind of plays on. Uh, even though it's like they are representing Earth, this is still kind of very much like that. I don't know. I feel like it's very U.S. Uh, based in that our you know we our uh, thing is to always take the offensive, you know, versus like okay, let's like really try to like rationalize out. And then this priest is telling him like, hey, I know exactly what's happening. It's this evil. We gotta mm-hmm. get the stones. And but he's like, I-, I don't get it. This just makes no sense to me. Like blah blah. I don't believe you. And it's just like bro if you would just listen he literally has the answers and like that's the a recurring theme uh throughout this movie is just like yeah. if people would just like listen to someone when they're trying to explain something uh you know all this like you know they literally uh are seconds away from the end of the world at this movie or at mm-hmm. the end of this movie but yet they could have saved the world with like two weeks to spare if they would just like listen to people talk you know right. so it's like kind of a recurring thing that uh you know we're uh as humans we're just like kind of these uh volatile creatures that are just like ready to spring into action all the time mm-hmm. yeah exactly so then we have an old military dude um who shoots at this molten space rock as you were talking about this is the villain of the piece is this molten space rock um and so he shoots at it but then we find out that we can't shoot at it because it's going to overpower us and kill us all. But then we find out, though, that oh, this whole beginning part with the president and the priest and all that stuff is actually just a dream. And it is a dream of our actual main character, who is Corbin Dallas, played by Bruce Willis. And so we have our intro to him and who he is. We get an intro to his sick ass apartment that he has, which again is just like kind of the baseline apartment that you would get, I guess. We end up finding out that I think he gets a phone call from somebody, a buddy of his, um, who he like does some stuff on the side with. But his general job is being a cab driver because that's what he does. But beforehand, like we were talking about earlier, he came from the military. So he mm-hmm. was a soldier at one time. And now because he's not any longer and he was discharged for the military or whatever um he is now trying to make ends meet by being a um a futuristic cab driver with his car um his yeah. taxi. well uh, the 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 homie on the phone i i'm assuming is like one of his like uh former like crew people but basically like he gives him the car and also it's like noted that corbin's apartment isn't labeled his car isn't registered it's like all these things to, like keep him off the radar um from from you know i guess uh his military past um but man his apartment is so cool the all the little futuristic details in this um that you see like that you know uh instead of making his bed he just gets a whole brand new mattress like saran wrapped and stuff that like replaces uh the fridge is underneath the shower that like rotates um but one funny thing uh with the um he has his cigarette case and to curb his cravings it's like oh you only get four per day and you're gonna quit eventually which is a funny little invention but then i noticed in the future that the cigarettes are 75 percent filter like it's like a long ass so it's like like the inverse of like what cigarettes are now and i don't know why that detail like cracks me up 
just yeah it's just kind of commenting on this and be like oh yeah you'll quit one day it's fine but yeah we find out he he did have a girlfriend at one point um but they have broken up so he is a single man and so we just have that part so he's a single guy i have in my notes uh corbin also almost gets mugged but he is goddamn cool and collected so what happens is he opens his front door and there's this guy who's like a fucking pussy ass like mugger like he is like he's gonna do it but like he's gonna try and mug you but like corbin dallas is literally just a fucking well he's tweaking too hard like he's literally he's literally tweaking too hard to where he cannot carry out this mugging properly but i uh but kind of ingenious though uh his little hat thing that goes up to the peephole so that way when people look in the people it looks like the hallway is uh empty that's pretty genius yeah if you're gonna live a life of crime and mugging (laughs) go ahead and do that it's fine um but he's just so calm uh and collected and he's just like you really want to try this like really okay we're we're not doing this and then and then he dances which is really fun too and he takes the he takes the mugger's weapon and adds it to a rack that drops down. So, like, is Corbin really just getting mugged like this every day? And he just keeps disarming tweakers trying to you know, mug Devon, him. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. This is what we live in in twenty twenty. <laughs> Poor uh, guy. Yeah, twenty three hundred or whatever. I guess you know it's just become a horrible state of the world. So I, I don't know, man. <laughs> but we see that Corbin gets into his unregistered cab, as you were saying, and he starts work. So he's like, but then we also find out that he has like points on his um, license and stuff. So he really shouldn't be driving a whole lot because he's an erratic driver, I guess, because uh, he's about <laughs> to lose his license. But anyway, but he's just like, nah, fuck it, I gotta make some money, which is fair enough. Okay, again, this movie's all over the place, kind of sort of but i have my notes um the priest and the president who are real those are real people actually uh they are then talking about evil again and again it's probably just rehashing what they already kind of said in um corbin's dream i guess but he talking about evil and again talking about the four elements so this is i guess where we're finding out more so we kind of found it out in the beginning anyway but like yeah these uh four stones that they're talking about are the elements and there's this fifth element that is supposed to like bring it all together or can like i don't even know what the fifth element actually does but okay like this is who this is supposed to be though they talk about the creation the light of creation which i guess is also a part of that too again the light of creation i guess do you even know what that is or again i don't really i mean it's a it's all kind of uh again like broad broad creationism like Mm -hmm. kind of thing uh, that they're again not really getting too descript about, which I'm glad. Yeah. You know, it does, keeps this like from feeling uh, too like religious in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like uh, he it, it, it remains ambiguous in like so many ways to where yeah. it's like it's nice to where he doesn't like have to like kind of declare like anything yeah. that he's like truly going for. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so it's like we kind of uh, get a get a little bit of that, and 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 the movie kind of the way the the reason it's like kind of all over the place because again it kind of has that sprawling yeah. noir vibe where you're cutting back and forth between like mm-hmm. so many different either groups of people or one person because it's like you got zorg and his people and then you got the the warrior aliens that are that he hired but now we're trying to kill him because you know they didn't bring him the stones and then and then you got the priests and then you, we cut to the army guys and the president and so it's always like we're in uh, a different area with like a different group of people like 
every like five minutes <laughs> which i think could be a criticism for the movie and i will criticize it for that i guess but again it's one of these things where you can't really read too much into the movie with that because that is kind of the whole point is that this is coming from luke Besson's brain and he wanted to create this world but yeah that's one of those things but you know what on this podcast i have covered plenty of movies that go all over the place so it's fine mm-hmm. but anyway so the mondo shawins do pay a visit um to try to like uh, they just like come and you know they're there but then they end up getting killed though um when they're trying to pay a visit because the mondo shawins i guess are seen as kind of like we saw them in the beginning as like these fucking weird ass antler not antler ants eater fucking like weird ass aliens but they're kind of like a lower species of alien or something to other folks i don't well, know no, they're they're the above the these are the think? homies like they they they're the homies and they literally are just like yeah we no. are the keys to like stopping this war and then no. so they were gonna but come to good. So they were gonna, yeah, they were gonna come to the the president to be like, hey, we got the key um, yeah. to to stop this. Like, we got your back. Don't worry. And then yeah. they get they get killed by uh, the the warriors that again yes. that were hired by Zorg. Uh, and Zorg is in cahoots. Yeah, Zorg <laughs> is in cahoots with uh, Big Evil. Yes, which is the planet, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Zorg, we have our intro to Zorg with uh, played by wow. Gary Oldman and our his weird ass like haircut he has, his like pinstripe suit that you were talking about earlier, which the is the plastic iconic. head plate, the plastic head plate, iconic. And he's he's being he's being just an evil, you know, uh, yeah, man, I guess. But he's we're getting you know his kind of thing. We don't learn that he is in cahoots with the dark planet yet. I don't think yet, um, but we get just the idea that he's a, an evil guy. I guess is what we get in the so, beginning. He's a he's a arms dealer. He uh, he, yes, he, he made his money off of weapons, and he was going to trade the warriors um, so, uh, some crates of his uh, his special yes. guns uh, in exchange for the stones. But then they didn't bring the stones. They're like, well, yes. we brought the case. You didn't say anything about any stones, and, he, exactly. and so they're like. Yeah, they they have their whole thing, and uh, I find it funny. There's a uh, I don't even know if it's meant to be a joke, but it's like he's an arms dealer. But it's funny because uh, he tells the priest that he's an art dealer. Uh, yes. I find that I find that uh, kind of funny. It's just like oh, uh, huh, a little just a little play there, but uh, yeah. But so then a- yes, but then we have um, so not to cut you off or anything. I'm sorry, but anyway, so we do have though from this attack of the Monashawan, so they kill him right but we do have a survivor from this attack um who is like just just a, a hand of just a hand it's a piece of a body <laughs> um and in our futuristic world we see that we can rebuild a person from dna so at this point we think like okay they're gonna like take this hand and they're gonna rebuild this and it's gonna be we're assuming because of you know just patriarchal stuff in general and you know not really thinking of that as a culture but we think like oh it'll be a guy because the manushawans are male question mark i guess like they are all seeming to be this but then in my notes and i have this i say we have a lady because (laughs) when they when they rebuild this thing from the hand we see that it is a uh a woman it is a naked lady um, who is here, played by Mila Jovovich. And we don't know their name yet, uh, but this is who is pretty much the fifth element, um, mm-hmm. because that's what this was. Uh, also, an aside, I this movie is actually PG-13, and it I messaged you about this, that the amount of times you do see some boob in here, where I'm just like, 
and again, I'm somebody who I'm very much like free the nipple and all that stuff. But I'm just like, yeah, but this is a PG-13 movie. Like, how do you operate within that? But okay, I'll I'll buy it. It was nice. I mean, yeah, they, they kind of have like the recurring thing that every time she's about to take her shirt off, they turn around, you know, yes, and then it, yes. it covers her up. But like in the in the very first scene when she is reanimated, uh, yes. I can clearly see Mia uh, Jovovich's nipples uh, on on that table. But I'll say that the movie, um, even though like the characters obviously like are enamored by her and stuff, the Lupasan doesn't very. I don't think he sexualizes her in this movie. I think the other characters do, they and do. it and it and it does kind of play into like what you were saying. They just keep thinking of the 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 the, the perfect specimen, the great one, the great mm-hmm. protector, and all these things. And they, even though none of those words have a, a gender in them, it's just like, right. yeah, them, um, you know, assuming that that it's going to be a man and then it turns out to be a woman. But then it also, um, it, I like that they do have the the little science portion that uh, that did interest me, the way that they explain like, okay, we can reanimate if we have this much DNA and then they go, this is a human's DNA, but then this is her DNA and they pretty much show that it's like mm-hmm. it has like a hundred thousand times the layers that our DNA has. Yeah. So it has all this genetic knowledge. And then, so that's the way that they explain that. It's like, Oh yeah, she's literally genetically speaking perfect versus yes. uh, you know, the way that we see certain men react to her that was like, Oh yeah, she's perfect. Cause she has great skin and she has pretty eyes and like all these things. That's like, no, 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 she is perfect because she is literally perfect. So, exactly. so I like that they have that spin on it. I, I do too. I kind of like it. Anyway, I have my notes that she's a bad bitch and she escapes because she's like stuck in this reanimating thing. Um, and they're just like, okay, well, we need to like do something with her because I guess this is who's like supposed to save the world somehow. But she is a bad bitch and she escapes though. And so we see our future city landscape that she's escaping out to because she literally gets, if I'm not mistaken, she jumps so she doesn't jump yet so she gets onto the ledge of a building which is where we see our future landscape and everything like that and then she's like kind of shimmying against the building and just trying to like you know um escape pretty much but she is the five O comes and they try to like detain her or apprehend her or whatever and so then what ends up happening and this is like the iconic shot of this movie where we have her jumping from the building uh that she has uh you know been shibbying on and she jumps from the building and then what ends up happening is that just so happens that corbin's uh taxi is right what she slams into pretty much and so yeah so he just and he's of course like oh fuck like i'm not supposed to do anything to this taxi and i literally just ripped the roof off of it because this lady like fell into my cab so this is where i have uh corbin and the orange lady meet that's what i'll refer to her (laughs) right now because she is the orange lady she doesn't have a name yet we know it's a woman and we know that it's an alien i guess but we don't know anything more than that it's crazy like how indestructible she is because like first she like punches out of like the the you know they're like oh glass indestructible they're like oh yeah totally indestructible like no way and then she like just like punches straight through and then falls through a car and all she has on her is like a couple scratches like she is a bit like she this is one tough bitch and uh yes. i'm also a, I'm, a, I'm a total slut for a for a free fall scene of any <laughs> yes. of any sort 
uh, like in sci-fi movies, action movies. I love a good free fall scene. It just like, yeah, the falling through all the flying cars and stuff just like looks so damn cool. No, it totally does. Um, so yeah, we then see, cause she doesn't know language yet quite yet, but she is aware because we see on the back of his cab or like the back seat of his cab, um, something that says help. And so that's how she learns what to say help. Because all she really said was just like, boom, bada bing, boom. Like that's her. Big bada boom. Yeah, (laughs) right. So that's like her grasp of language. But she then sees this sign that says help. And she says, please help. Like she's understanding that like these, because he's just like, okay, well, I can't afford to do this. Like, you know, I need to like kind of turn you in, quote unquote, in a way. But then he pretty much says, uh, you know, they try to arrest the orange lady, uh, of course, because they're trying to be like, you're escaping now and all that. Uh, but you know what? Corbin says, fuck the police. And he just <laughs> decides to escape. And he's just like, oh, fuck. Oh, well, like, we're just going <laughs> to we're already doing this anyway. I'm already going to probably, you know, deep in shit anyway. I might as well. Just make yeah. It better. <laughs> and, it, and it's um, interesting because yeah. it's obviously like played that he's doing it because like, oh, well, she's gorgeous. And like, but then also like yeah. her her pleading. But then but we saw from like him having the dream of like seeing the conversation and stuff like he's like somewhat he is linked to her like there is like this like kind of overall destiny like kind of thing at play and i feel like that's what that like little him like waking up at like having the dream because it was actually happening but like it like is him still just like connected to this whole thing so it's like interesting that like her falling through all those flying cars and it's like oh yeah the ultimate destiny is of course she would like fall through his but then like uh i'm curious uh, because i've seen articles talking about like the the born sexy yesterday theory and i've seen uh lilu be in that conversation but the way that we see her like relearning and like stuff it's like no she's she's not like a, a this way because like she's a child or she's like you know young minded it's like no she just has to catch up on the past 3000 years she just ha- doesn't have like it's a language barrier but then like it's her also how they show that like she has this like genetic knowledge of like everything and the way that she like learns everything so fast like she when she broke out she like used the past thing to like open it up and everything and then so so uh, is her seeing that and like how fast she takes in language and everything uh, very much goes against and like supports that. It's like, no, she is like this, like, you know, centuries old immortal being that just like kind of has to catch up. It's not like a, oh, I'm young and like not, you know, it's she's not a child in this movie. An interesting argument for sure. And yeah, I, I think it is interesting if some people have something to build besides that because the way you put that i mean yeah no she's just like literally been born i guess because she was literally like a piece of a hand and so now she is a actual person like she's a sentient human being or alien i guess and so now it's just a matter of her having to catch up which we see later in the future where she's literally just going through the encyclopedias of the computer and mm-hmm. like uh where she's learning everything uh, of the past three thousand years i do also want to mention the sexy uh mcdonald's worker so that's always fun because uh the police actually stopped at mcdonald's and we see that like these mcdonald's ladies have like this like sexy outfit on or whatever that's also a criticism i think people lob at this movie sometimes too where it's like oh the women in this movie are like literally nothing other than like you know these aesthetically pleasing 
individuals that are in these like sexy clothings or whatever or you have someone like Lilu who is literally like the savior of the whole goddamn planet but that's also something I think people lob at this movie but I'm just like yeah I don't know if it's all that deep I'm not really sure but like okay you have your argument with that but I I mean again I think this is Basan like taking jabs at you know western culture and audiences like he's a very european guy and like you know but they have also been kind of known to be more progressive than us so like this is him reflecting like oh like because mcdonald's is obviously like a very american thing so it's like i feel like that's like have him just reflecting and like this is uh in new york uh we are in futuristic new york at this point so this is like him like kind of reflecting uh his like impression of like you know oh yeah this is what i think futuristic america specifically would be like but but yeah you could kind of say that for them obviously the flight attendants the flight attendants have always been sexy that's always that's nothing new so i feel like sexy mcdonald's workers is just like the evolution into it oh we'll Um, get into the flight attendants don't worry we'll get into them yeah but but it is interesting because now that i think about it like besides lilu and then like the diva later there are no like prominent female characters like nope. the next prominent character is corbin's mom who we only hear on the phone like i i actually didn't notice like how little like women there were in like the actual like principal cast of it but again the like you pointed out like lilu and then the diva the two female characters are you know the most important characters of the movie yeah Agreed for sure. Um, but anyway, so we see that Corbin brings the lady, uh, again, orange lady. It's either he brings her home because he's going to hide her out or he's going to hide her or whatever, or he brings her to Vito Cornelius. Yeah. Who I he, guess he, he just knows. No, he, he found Vito in the, in the phone book, okay. uh, is, uh, because before she passed out, she said, uh, Cornelius before she passed out. And then, oh, she does say that you're right. Yeah. Um, so he, he found him in the phone book and then brought her to his apartment. <laughs> we still have phone books in the future, everybody. This is hilarious. So funny. <laughs> I know. Uh, Vito then explains though, about how I put in my notes, the red lady, she's either the orange or red lady. I don't know which yet, but how she is, as you were saying, very well put into words, how she is literally perfect. She's a perfect specimen for this very reason of why she is of that. Yeah. You, you pretty much said what he had pretty much said of <laughs> uh, this is how like who this is. And, you know, she's, gonna she is the fifth element pretty much uh is what she's saying um then we have because she's passed out as you were also saying we have the creepy corbin uh wanting to kiss her in some way because again she's just kind of knocked out and she's yeah, like, he says Tire. wake her up gently and right. his uh response is oh so kissed her got it like what <laughs> right but then she's like oh no like i'm gonna point a gun at you because she's like don't fuck with me i didn't tell you you could kiss me at all uh because we love here consent here at the cult cinema circle podcast lilu (laughs) defender of consent we love her yes we love her um because she understands and as you stated before i I love that you stated this because it's not that she is young-minded it's not that she's a child it's just that she was literally reborn and but she's a centuries old fucking like deity thing like she is like this otherworldly thing Mm -hmm. um but she still understands boundaries and you're not gonna cross her boundaries which i thought was really interesting but then we finally get a name for her because she has a really long ass name of course that she says what it is or what it is but um she gets the name of lee lu because that's what it's um 
shortened town to. So she'll now be fourth, hence known as Lilu. But then we have uh, my notes. Corbin and Finger talk when he gets home. So Finger is, I think, his friend on the phone and they're mm-hmm. talking because um, he, I think, has found out that his cab is like fucked um, because that's <laughs> Finger's cab um, that he was using. And he's like, listen, like, I'll fix it for you. All this kind of stuff. Da 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 da. He's he's having to deal with his life. He's just like, all right, bye, Lilu and Cornelius. Like, I'm gonna go back to my my apartment and stuff, uh, I guess. But it was nice meeting you, I guess. Like, all right, whatever. But we'll come back to Corbin though, because we then have him do a whole other thing. But in the meantime, though, Lilu getting used to the the America uh, in the year whatever the fuck we're in in three thousand something. Um, we see that she's surfing the web as you do, and eating chicken, chicken. You know, and <laughs> yes, and so she's like eating chicken in this like you know uh, fast ass like uh, microwave that she's using or whatever. And anyway, so but she's learning all about as you were saying, she was learning all about history um, in the last three thousand years, and so that's what she's pretty much doing. So then we get into Zorg, and again, we kind of already met him anyway, but I think this is actually where we see Zorg for the first time. I think he had just been like maybe like I don't know if we saw his face yet uh, beforehand. But we were like, oh, Zorg, I guess, is like the villain. But we actually get his intro. And this case was brought to Zorg, as you were stating, and it was empty. Because like you were saying earlier that, you know, they didn't say like, you just told us to get you a case. We didn't know it was empty or not. And he's just like, oh, my God, you idiots. Like, what are you doing? Like, why did you think I wanted this? But okay, fine. Um, And so, yeah, he's an arms dealer uh, and all of that. My notes are so weird sometimes. So I have in here the space monster plays with Zorg's guns because he shows off one of his guns and he's like, hey, this is a fucking great gun and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the space monsters are playing with it because they're just like kind of fucking around with each other or whatever. Um, and then there is this like button on his gun, like uh, the red button on the gun. And pretty much he's like, don't forget about that either. And then they push it and then they explode. So that's fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, he has a he has like a funny little moment where he's like kind of he's talking shit on them as he like walks away he's like oh yeah he's like he's like they fight for honor honor's bullshit he's like no i i I like to deal with real killers he's like he's like you know what a real killer would have done that would have asked about that little red button and like yeah he has a a a fun little thing there and it's just like okay like i'm I'm into this guy uh i I always (laughs) wanted one of those guns uh those things are like um they just look really cool even though like kind of impractical but like it it looks really (laughs) badass yes Um, he's also he also does uh this is before the dressmaker ever came out um but he also does the thing where he's standing he's standing outside of where the monsters are at or the space aliens or whatever Mm. and he's just like smoking and he just like takes a drag of his cigarette times the explosion like perfectly so good and that also reminds me of the dressmaker with kate winslet because she also does a similar thing so i'm kind of wondering like was this somehow influenced by this but whatever i actually need to watch the dressmaker i just know the meme so i'm just like i need to actually watch this i think that was also made by the guy who did muriel's wedding or it was like his wife or something so i probably should watch that anyway go watch muriel's wedding uh devon if you haven't already done so i haven't i haven't we'll talk about it (laughs) go do it Uh, anyway so zorg and the priests are now talking so i don't remember what they're exactly talking about um but pretty much I really don't remember what the Zorgan 
Vito are talking about. Actually, they talk. actually really like, yeah, I actually really like the scene. This was um there again. This is like oh, you know more 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 good versus evil kind of stuff. And basically, uh, you know, the priest is calling Zorg evil, and uh, Zorg's like, yeah, I'm evil, but like I'm necessary is basically what he's saying. Uh, he like makes this whole uh, uh peace versus chaos uh, demonstration. He like breaks a glass, and he's like, see, if I break this glass. Uh, first, if the glass is just uh, untouched, that's boring. He goes, but if I break it, now look at it. There's all these machines that got to come out. And he goes, they all have a purpose. And then think about the engineers that made that machine. They like yes. actually makes it. I was like, okay, you kind of make a little base point here. Uh, yeah, but then and also his, like, Zorg is choking on a cherry as well. Yeah, that but then, yeah, that's like the, the reversal on it. He like basically makes this whole case that is like, I'm necessary chaos. Uh, he, he literally basically... The, the people from Glass Onion would have loved this fucking guy. Uh, the disruptors right. in uh, the Glass Onion. Yeah, they would have fucking loved, uh, loved this guy. But then it's like kind of flipped on when uh, the priest is like, see, you don't have a machine, though, to like save mm-hmm. your life from this cherry pit. Um, exactly. You know, so so a, a nice little fun exchange there of uh, just two. I feel like this scene was just like kind of put in because like, hey, we have these like two like regal actors and i feel like we must give them a a really juicy scene to actually act in for a moment and i feel like that's what this scene was i believe it for sure um so then uh the priest is then escorted out after that and so then corbin we find out because he has like this um there's like this like spaceship or like i don't know what to call it but it's like this Chinese food placed for loading through the air and he comes to his window and he finds out that he actually has been fired from his cab job <laughs> so he's like you know what whatever I'm just gonna get my fucking Chinese food and I'm just gonna like figure something else out I guess um, I wish my I wish my taco stand guys would just like come up to my window like that's well that'd, you know listen I know right I mean we don't have taco trucks like that here in Maryland but uh hey maybe I need to go look harder I don't know but anyway uh but you guys have it locked unlock over there though anyway we find out though that while he's been fired from his job we see that corbin actually won a trip to uh floss in paradise and he is sent on a mission to go collect the stones so pretty much what we find out in this scene is that he won this because his mom calls him and he's like you've been on the radio like you know for the last hour or whatever right and so i love her and i could and she's not listed on wikipedia though who is she i, I need to find he, who voices his mom you know it's probably you know it's probably terrible strong like let's be real here it probably is like I that would actually make sense i'm gonna find it on imdb while we're while we're working up but yeah the the military like rigged the the the, the, um, uh he rigged rigged, it yeah yeah rigged the competition so that way because they didn't they wanted it to be a discreet mission to go get the stones not a uh, big military thing which i mean yeah makes sense that's true and so they're just like hey look like you're just like this guy but you're this decorated war hero and we're gonna send you to this place to go get these stones okay have fun but in this case though so the military comes to his house but then um you have the coded like lesbian um lady uh i don't remember her name but it, she's like one of the military people she's definitely coded as a lesbian which i think is fun um because her, her name was something it was like iceberg Yes, which yes. made me laugh <laughs> yes because that's supposed to be his wife so he's he and his wife are going to go to flossed in paradise and that's how the ruse is going to be kept up but the police come and they uh the police are coming because they're like oh, okay like they just are coming to try to arrest somebody they're gonna arrest like corbin's neighbor i guess because he's unlisted as you stated earlier so like 
they don't actually know where Corbin is because they're going to come, I guess, arrest Corbin, but they don't know where he's at. So instead they have his like uh neighbor that I guess they're going to try mm-hmm. to like, uh, well, it, it was Corbin. He stuck his little, he stuck his little card thing in the, in the oh, other okay. guy's door. So it was like oh, him. He, he knew the cops were coming. So he had to give him the slip. Yeah. True, true, true. Right. And then we have Zorg and his like weird alien pet that he has, like his version of a cat, I guess, because he's the evil man. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so, cause they always have animals. So this is his weird alien pet he has, but yeah, so they go and arrest his neighbor because, you know, he frames him and all that. We then have though, that the priest has come to, you know, the priest has come to Corbin's place because he's found out about this mission and everything like that. And pretty much he tries to steal the tickets he steals them he knocks corbin out pretty much and he's just like no like this is way too important i need to go do this because i know what to do like you don't know anything but then though he does this and i think also like the military guys are like frozen to death as well that also happens at some point if I'm not yeah the, the the military people showed up military people showed up to to you know convince him and then puts them uh puts them away and then the mm-hmm. the church or no and then the priest comes yeah to like yes. steal stuff and then um yeah. you know and then that leads to the the airport shenanigans of like exactly. four different people trying to be mm-hmm. corbin to to get yes. on yeah because the, he yeah, at first he doesn't want to do the mission, but then he's like, you know what? That priest like knocked me out or whatever the fuck. I'm going to go take this mission. Why the fuck not? Let's do it. Because, yeah, at first I don't think he wants to do it, but then he ends up doing it. Uh, and as you were stating with the uh, the airport, go on. This is like the most like of the noir vibes that I get. Like, again, we where we kind of have like this intersection of all the different characters because um, mm-hmm. it's like because now we got like the 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 warrior aliens uh they're pissed off because you know zorg killed a bunch of them so now they're mm-hmm. just trying to kill zorg they don't even give a shit about the stones right, but right. they they want to kill zorg so they're so they're trying to pose as corbin and then zorg sends his homie to also pose as corbin yeah um, and then but then the priest uh sends the young guy who was gonna pose yes. as corbin to to actually go with lilu and then um mm-hmm. but corbin doesn't trust the the priest guy so he replaces and yes. actually goes on the mission but it's uh funny like yeah four different people going up to the same uh flight attendant lady uh trying yes. to pose as corbin is like again like the the mistaken identity shenanigans that come along mm-hmm. with again these uh kind of noir vibes a little bit yeah totally so yeah um he goes to the airport which is filled with trash apparently um <laughs> so that's how it is and uh hey listen but anyway so we then have um david who is the uh assistant to the priest he goes tries to go on there uh, but corbin is just like oh hey like you know i'm actually corbin dallas and he and lulu actually get on the plane and then all the other shenanigans happen after that um i will say also that these stewardesses are serving like their outfits are so iconic like they're I so look, good. they look so fucking good i love that they all got the they all have freckles is like funny like yes. is that part of the interview process when they become a serious yeah. also gotta have the freckles girl uh but yeah they they look amazing with the, with the blonde wigs i love them the boots everything i love them all and then one of them is technically stacy francis or whatever her name was she was on canada's drag race the first season and she has oh. that really low voice or whatever um she's like one of the judges on there but she was on the fifth element as one of the stewardesses because she was a model like most of these ladies probably are um anyway i'm surprised although i'm not surprised though that like tyra didn't get one i mean it would have been very apropos if she could have but i mean 
you know, it would have made sense in the the universe to put Tyra Banks in. That would have been iconic. Or or if Tyra was like that main one at the counter and interacting with all of them, that would have been perfect. It would have worked. And instead she did, you know, Halloween resurrection and all that other. Mm. But, you know, we'll talk about it. Anyway, we finally meet though Ruby Rod because throughout the movie, we have gotten a little bit of who he is, but like, we haven't actually met him yet. He's played by Chris Tucker. And so, uh, we finally meet him, and so you know, because uh, that's where Stacy, whatever her name is, she's just like, "Oh, Mister Dallas," like you know, I'm whatever to this, and she like leads him into like this back area or whatever where Ruby Rod is. Ruby Rod is uh, what the fuck is he? An influencer slash? He's a, he's uh, a radio host. host. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he has a radio talk show, but they live stream. That they like they keep saying live. Um, so it's like so yeah, and because he hosts the station that sets up the the giveaway and the contest and everything so it's like funny you know ruby rod again he's he's that wild card character he comes in and uh he's uh, a character that you know that the military people they didn't think of this when they like oh yeah we're gonna rig the contest and you're gonna go as you know and you're gonna go on this vacation we're gonna do the mission but then they didn't think like Oh yeah, this uh trip include it's like this radio thing. So he's supposed exactly. to be like getting interviewed by Ruby Ra and all these things. And yeah. it's just like adds in just like extra variables into this yeah. whole mission. Um, on top of him just being uh like it, it's so funny, like it, he comes in so loud. And it's just like this Come scene, in! like and again it's just like if you like this scene it's like this is like a, almost like exactly like halfway through the movie so it's like at this yeah. scene it's like this is your last chance to hop off if like you did not want to be here um, no, seriously because, like this is the level that we're gonna like kind of go to now <laughs> And you know what's funny is that as many a people who I think of, really Chris Tucker, I mean, he does everything that he can with this this role. And I really can't see anybody else playing this. Like, really, like, I think he nails it. He nails this, like, annoying person because he's, like, kind of an annoying comedian, stand-up guy. He can no, be. yeah. Like, I, but I don't want to see John Leguizamo in this. Like, he maybe could have done it because he can be kind of annoying, you know, like, especially back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it would like, have had to have been one of those type of comedians. Because you mentioned it was to. like Jamie Foxx was talked about. And I love, Fox, I love Jamie Foxx, one of the most talented person in the sure. world, but he doesn't have the annoying factor, though. He doesn't. No, like, he's it too. Had to been- He's yeah. too cool and and likable, you know. Like Jim, so Jim like, Carrey wouldn't have worked, I don't think. I like that it's a black person. I enjoy that. That's kind of fun. I think it could have been them or one of the Wayans. Like I think maybe one of the Wayans could have done it. Maybe. Yeah, I, maybe. I, I, I guess yeah. But but at the same time, yeah, Chris but, Tucker, he's absolutely perfect here. Like he he yeah. like he takes it exactly to like the edge, like of it almost being too much. Like if this like was done in the two thousands, it would have been Cat Williams. Do you know what I mean? Like it oh, would have been. Goodness. No, I'm just saying. No. Like please I don't know. No. Maybe like it could have been. I don't know because they kind of remind me a little bit of each other. Where I'm just like, just I need somebody annoying. So like, because Ruby Rod is supposed to be that. So I'm like, let's let's throw him in there. But he's also just like such a distinct character. Like just like so like as soon as he comes in. I'm not even thinking about that it's Chris Tucker. Like, I'm just like, oh my God, like this person, like, you know, who is Ruby Rod? Like it and like it like builds that out like really well. Yeah. So it's like, you know, he's iconic. Love him or hate him. He it. is iconic. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So Corbin and Lilo, they end head to their seats where it's really just like capsules, I guess. 
uh, like capsule beds. Mm-hmm. And then we have, uh, so they're like about to do to lift off. And so the stewardesses are doing all their things to like say, hey, like be in your seats or whatever seats then we have some cunnilingus on the plane uh delivered by ruby rod to one of the stewardesses where she is about to have a complete orgasm on takeoff uh and all that (laughs) because we have intercut like lilu and corbin we have this going on and then it's also the the people refueling the plane and like cutting to this and like yeah just so it's so funny um yeah i don't i don't know uh, and again, I love, uh, look at Ruby Rod. He's a giver uh, yeah. in, in his uh, mile high club endeavors. Exactly. But then the plane takes off though. And there's an explosion at the airport because I think that this was planned out to like explode or whatever. Um, so we do have that explosion happening and I guess some people died at the airport. I'm guessing, but yeah, well, the, since the warriors couldn't place. get onto the plane, that was their yeah. plan B apparently. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to blow the fuck shit up, but it's fine. <laughs> um, so then this is where we get the Zorg. So we're going to start speeding through a little bit, you know, we're, halfway through the movie again this thing's two hours but again we have the zorg i know right uh but the zorg in the shadow talk um so again zorg is like the main villain but then he answers to the shadow which is like this like uh dark planet thing or whatever and so gunk or blood or whatever is then flowing down zorg's face when he's talking to the shadow yeah you ever get so nervous that your forehead starts bleeding exactly i've or never just, understood it but it's so I never get it either. it's so odd but i don't know is that the the dark one's influence over the right. phone i don't know yeah i'm just like okay, also cool. the fact that the 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 living planet creates wavelengths so he can talk to people on the phone fucking hilarious exactly. <laughs> love it it's it's you know this is the future everybody but then we have our arrival at paradise um so we have that going on uh the priest has stowed away so uh he was able to get in while they were refueling or whatever he ends up like figuring his way in there um because he's like oh i'm not gonna miss this so uh he stows away and then you know he comes to corbin and lilu and he's like hey guys what's up um and so uh we then have corbin and his mom talk so this is after they get off the plane they're at floston paradise and they go to their really pretty blue room that they have with like the old-timey phones and like it's a very pretty room i really really like it him and his mom talk though <laughs> i again like i really love these like little moments between between him and his mom uh her name was uh jill mullen is the voice actress oh really? uh, she has like not many uh other credits but um she huh. she delivers she does deliver i love her um but anyways so then um so that corbin and the mom are talking and so they talk a little bit but then we also get uh this is our intro to because we leave out of their room and Lilu's just kind of like going around like she's just kind of prancing around somewhere i don't know um she's not in the room with corbin though but we uh get our intro to the diva because the diva we don't quite see their face though but we see just their figure or whatever and they're going into their room and so we like see her going into her room and we're just like oh okay because we find out that one of the reasons that people go to Foston paradise is to go see the diva in concert and so that's where corbin and ruby will be later tonight um so there's that and it's Um, and it's so random that the 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 robot anteater homies uh they didn't trust the humans to watch the stones anymore but they trust a traveling opera singer 
yeah uh, I, I found uh, I, and there's no and there's no uh like reasoning behind it it's never explained like right. that like her race is like you know sacred protectors or something like that nope right. they're just like they just go no they really trust her <laughs> so that's what we're gonna give her i would too stones, I guess. and i would too why not uh, yeah exactly that so, Ruby, so mysterious i know right so corbin and um ruby they end up heading to the theater and you know ruby's kind of talking to corbin because this whole thing is that corbin is like a man of very few words so he doesn't really want to say anything and they even have that conversation like before they take off i think was like you know hey this is boring like you know you need to be more high energy <laughs> or whatever and he's just like i'm not really that though like what are you talking about <laughs> like okay but yeah so ruby rod and is kind of like you know showing him around everywhere with everybody and all that which is fine um but then they take their seats at the theater um and so then the diva is revealed and then this is like our kind of iconic part of the movie as well where we have the diva is revealed to be this like blue alien thing who is an opera singer and she begins singing so intercut though with this so we see that she's singing whatever the fuck opera she's singing but uh i love it i'm not a i'm not a big opera person but like i'm here for luke basson like giving us like literally like a good three four minutes of this before it actually even like kicks into the inner cutting with the action Uh like he literally is just like here like let's let's just take a moment to have a a nice little pretty moment and like you see corbin's like eyes are all glassy and stuff and it's just like it is like before the action of mayhem it's just like a nice like hey let's let's just take this in for a minute and i and the the i remember always being just very captivated by by her look whenever i was younger and like the you know the uh, the makeup work is with her like big tentacle head and like the tendrils coming out from behind her like mm-hmm. just a very striking looking uh you know feat of makeup and practical effects totally totally and so also mixing it up a little bit too where she's like and i also love the people who have tried to do this like in real life because uh, (laughs) none of these notes actually can be hit by like literal human beings although some people have gotten close uh but it's always fun to kind of see those people try to cover this which is really fun um in the meantime though because lilu uh decides she's gonna beat some ass because (laughs) i guess what was happening is that these like warriors or whatever zorg like hired they're coming in and they're trying to like steal some shit from the diva i guess they're trying uh, to also steal the stones because they want to they want to uh get their shit from zorg yeah but we do see that lilu is beating some of their ass um because she sees them like break into her room and like all that stuff and so we really see what the fifth element can do and we see that like she really can like beat the fuck out of you which is great um and it's intercut with this diva singing which i just thought was like really really good and like it's it's really great like it's it's very stylish it looks good the choreography is really fun uh you get to see like you know the early comings of mila and what she'd become as you know a very competent action actress uh you know very fun it's disappointing that when you think about this is her only like true like action scene but again she but but she did she does mention like why is everything like got to be about destroying like she's the great entity but she isn't meant to be the that you know the the badass i mean she is a badass but that's not even like what she's truly meant to be well she's also protecting too so that's the big thing with her is that she's protecting um these stones and you know she sees that like this is what we're gonna do um so yeah but the mangalores or the mondo shawans i guess or the mangalores i think that's what they're called um these other 
warriors oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that's the warrior aliens. Yeah. Yeah. They take over the ship though. So they take over the whole ship. They're just like, all right, fuck it. We're gonna do like whatever Darth Vader's like fucking warriors are. They kind of do that pretty much and they just like invade the whole ship. Um and they're just shooting up the place. Um I will say though that like not that I'm sensitive to like gun violence a ton or whatever, but um uh, watching this I was just like oh dear god in heaven like oh because it was happening in like a theater and like it was all this i was just like we didn't know in 97 this is post this pre-columbine this is before all this other kind of shit but where i was just like oh yeah so that's and again it's it's an action movie but we're also just like yeah this is not always fun to watch like especially with the state of our world right now yeah, 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 I guess uh, I guess it's the it is interesting kind of seeing certain things now like you yeah. know recontextualized a little bit because like yeah any other time this is just like oh this is a fun little shootout scene or whatever yeah. but then but yeah the the specific setting of it being like in a you know public performance space is yeah. like ooh that 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 ooh. does kind of sting a little bit and it doesn't necessarily it's not Luke Besson's fault but it's more so just like. Mm, okay but we look at it in 2023 lens now and whatever but but the diva gets shot though um so you know they are going for her and then of course ruby's just like get down corbin like you gotta protect yourself and so but corbin ends up going on stage to go see the diva and we find out that the diva has actually hidden the stones within her um because he she kind of said something about that a little bit but like wasn't completely clear with it and he heard her say that and she was like okay what does that mean but then we actually see that she literally has hidden it within her like guts or whatever she has in regards about commitment to the cause yes she like puts it in herself pretty much um the stones are in her so then pretty much he's like all right well these stones are so important i'm gonna take them and i'm going to like i guess i'll take them now all right great so Corbin takes the stones from them and then the diva dies, unfortunately. Rest in peace, girl. But anyway, so then we have the Mangalores and the um, Corbin. They are now, because he is able to get um, access to a gun um, of some sort, and he's able to kind of have this shootout going on with the Mangalores and him. He is leading Ruby through this thing <laughs> to be like, you know, oh, okay. And then I'm like, okay, I guess Ruby's going to be like along with for this ride now. Okay, fun. Um, so oh, I, I, I want to throw out a a moment uh, or with this because again like we've kind of talked about the way that uh, Basan is like kind of portraying a lot of like the you know different uh, tropes of certain characters and stuff so I think it's funny that people will complain about you know Ruby Rod screaming through this you know manly shootout versus but like oh but but it's okay when it's a female character that you just throw into an action movie that has no character, you know? So I feel like it's a, a fun little play on that. It's like, okay, well, what if there's a dude in this uh, gun fight that is absolutely useless and is screaming the whole time? Like, so I, I feel like that is like very intentional for uh, this set piece, which is really the only like big action set piece in this. Cause again, Basan's not really concerned with it. He's like the whole movie's telling you like, Hey, shooting is not the, the answer. <laughs> exactly exactly for sure uh but yeah so they end up escaping though um thank god they're able to and then we have the um so they're escaping and then um they're talking about having to negotiate and so i do have in my notes negotiate um because what ends up happening is that corbin's just like yeah no fuck that like i'm just gonna like shoot you and that's how we're gonna negotiate um so who else wants to negotiate kind of a thing because again he's he's a decorated war hero like he he's a he's a veteran i guess in this sense so 
yeah, he knows his way of how to fight, which is important. And that's important to the story. But yeah, well, we're coming up near the halfway end of this movie. Thank, thank God. It's been a long time, but it's been a great, <laughs> great time, though. Uh, but Corbin finds Lilo, who's wounded. So finds her in the room where she was beaten their, their ass or whatever. And so now he finds her and he's like, all right, we're going to take her. So it's him. It's Corbin, Lilu, and Ruby who are all just like leaving. And I guess the priest is also there too. He's like also like, you know, coming along because they have to evacuate paradise. So all the people who are still alive in this whole thing, they're now having to evacuate Floston pretty much. So Bord was also there too. He also he was. He uh, hitched a out. ride in there, uh, but then he kind of has a pretty unceremonious. He does um, because demise. he comes. He comes onto the paradise, which is where you have the scene where literally, like, the gang of Corbin and Lilu and all them are escaping, um, but then Zorg is coming on to paradise to disarm the bomb, pretty much that he has set up, um, and mm-hmm. so. This is where they don't ever meet each other. They literally are just on screen for like a second. And then that's really interesting too. That's definitely something about this movie. Yeah. Um, and then he just blows up. <laughs> he blows up. The Mangalores blow him up and he he disarmed the bomb. He actually did do that. But then he, the Bangalores were like, it's for honor. And then they just like blow him up. So Sorg's dead. So anyway, uh, fiery ball of destruction is heading for Earth, though. Um, so okay, so like Zorg's out of the way, the Mangalores are out of the way. They like pretty much suicide bombed themselves, and so this fiery uh, ball of destruction from earlier, the Dark Shadow or whatever it's called, um, is heading for Earth, though. Um, and so they have to try to stop that. And then in the meantime, while they are trying to stop it, and then the priest is pretty much telling them like, "Hey, we need to go to Earth, and we need to go back to these to the temple." in egypt to the temple they gotta to go fly to this. egypt <laughs> yes they gotta fly to egypt uh but in the meantime while we're doing this because uh Lilu has been a very studious student and she has gone through um her whole fucking encyclopedia and she just got to the letter uh v and she's getting <laughs> to, to w and this is where she learns about war and so we see her learning about like war and like you know we have like um pictures of like you know world war ii and like hitler and like all this kind of stuff and she's learning about how horrible the human race has been to each other when it comes to war and that is kind of that i don't know if it's shoehorned in necessarily but it's definitely that kind of thing of like you know here's that kind of overly not sappy but it's just like don't do war guys like you know whatever it is and they have that Mm -hmm. kind of simplistic kind of like you know because it does also show in the movie so we end up in egypt to set up the elements because they have to set up the elements as they normally would but they figure out how to open the elements though because they're wondering like well what the fuck do we do like we put them in these different places but how do we actually do anything with them and they realize oh you go with for water you have to put water on this and for wind you have to blow on it or whatever like she literally says it and he's just like i don't get what you mean she's like wind blows rain falls and he's like i don't get it like what Uh, the hell And they uh, have to like get fire, which they only have like one thing of fire from a match that Corbin has. Course, so they're from like, his, don't do anything. His smoking addiction and everything. Yes, um, yes. But it, I mean, it, the 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 war thing. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, at one point, I wouldn't say it shoehorned in because it is still like yeah. kind of mentioned throughout. Like she has been just like kind of questioning, like 
you know, yeah. oh, it, your guys answer to everything is violence. And that's been the entire movie. But and, and it gives an interesting moment where she like is like, I don't want to save you. Like, exactly. You guys don't deserve that's it. What I was saying, like, she right. kind of has like this, like turning moment. Like, I don't want to like maybe I, I don't want to be the fifth element <laughs> is kind right. of a, I don't want to save I, you guys. Uh, how cunty of her. I love it. Uh, of I'm going to let the entire world uh, die. But at the same time, um, this is where we learn that uh, she is not the fifth element, but love is the fifth exactly. element uh, right. that, that activates her and everything with her and Corbin. So, but it's, you know, I guess a, a interesting, that's just like, again, like this all could have been, you know, they, they were on like mm-hmm. this ticking clock that they literally got down to like these seconds before they, did, right? they put everything together. They were on this like ticking clock, but it's like, this would have uh, been all good if they just like would have like you know reanimated her like you know earlier and all she's mm-hmm. supposed to do is she's supposed to come to and she's supposed to fall in love that's it you're supposed to just let exactly. her fall in love but no we're, we're worried about shooting stuff and blowing stuff up all the time mm-hmm. and yeah. you know and all these things it's just like no just like let people you know like do obviously they're just saying like you know do the opposite of fighting and killing but, yeah. but love and yeah exactly. it's a, it's a little sappy but at the same time like yeah this again like this is a space opera quote-unquote of like yeah you know the, the the drama the theatricality of it all and like so, yeah do you do you buy into lilo and corbin uh being in love uh i mean it's it's i mean maybe it's foggy like yes he <laughs> sure Yes, he does not really know anything about Lilu, and he no. very much talks about her physical attraction. But I think there also is there there is like something between them and like their performances where like for most of the movie they have this like language barrier, you know. So it's like sure. really them like just communicating on like a more uh, kind of primal basis. So in that kind of way, I kind of maybe believe like oh, like they're kind of in love beyond like uh, the the you know the typical things that we kind of think yeah. about maybe. Um, sure. And I'd say at least their chemistry together um, uh, sells it enough. But like as far as like them being truly in love. Um, I mean, eh, no, it's sappy as hell. I agree. I agree. So then the fiery ball is stopped um, and then the world is saved once again, um, thanks to the Powerpuff Girls. But anyway, <laughs> so then um, so we have our end of the movie pretty much at this point. So the world has been saved and it's wonderful and great. We then uh, come back to wherever the hell that Lily was first reborn at. We are back to where she whatever the hell that machine is uh because i guess that's where she lives and so we have um we have that it's covered up now and they're like oh well we need to like have corbin go on another mission or something or we need to talk to him uh or we need to talk to them like where are they and then you're like oh they just need like about five more minutes like it's fine and so they're getting all hot and heavy within this like tube thing or whatever and you're like okay and then that's how we end the movie everybody so then that is the end of the fifth element with this with a song that can only be played at like the end of a 1997 uh film like something about that they they even freeze frame on the ending of it i mean that's uh they do that's about the only way you can end this movie is on a freeze frame uh fucking in a medical tube we love it I love it. But anyway, so to wrap up a little bit, because we've already been going on long enough for ever. Again, I said at the beginning of the episode, this is a movie movie. There is a lot of movie here. It's a lot of movie. And for what I normally do on this pod, you know, going through a plot summary, these always take a little bit longer. But uh, 
But anyway, I think a nice little wrap up of this is that this movie, for what it is, I think it is a an absolute like wonderful little sci-fi gem if you will i i think that it has its supporters it has its haters whatever but i do think like overall if you want a fun campy kind of time that a movie that doesn't take itself too seriously but still delivers on some kind of a story i do think that this is one that you know is worth a watch for sure i think it's at least worth a watch if you don't like it then okay but if you do then hopefully you'll enjoy it and i'm sure they have other stuff of like I wouldn't be surprised if they had like continuation of this in like comic books or something, or if they hadn't already done that, it has that kind of, and I think it's a great example of something that is both a lauded piece of, you know, film, um, but also is something where people really also shat on it and hated it. So, and again, that kind of comes into the cult cinema of it all is that a movie that maybe didn't do great when it came out or it has been reappraised or whatever it is. Um, so I don't know. I, I like it. I'm I'm glad I watched it again, and I really I maybe own it. Like I would, I would buy this maybe. You know. Oh, maybe. I totally need to buy this. It's not my collection yet. I need to. And nah. again, like it's not. It's you're not. If you're going in for a more traditional sci-fi or a uh, sci-fi action romp, uh, what you have in mind is not exactly what you're gonna get from this. You're gonna kind of get it. You're gonna get a little bit of it. Uh, yeah. But you're also going to get just uh, this is, again, like Bassan's true interpretation of like how he kind of sees um, the way that these traditional stories could be told mm-hmm. um, in uh, the way that he does it visually, uh, the things that he prioritizes of this, uh, you know, prioritizing uh, emotion and, you know, uh, aesthetic over uh, the uh, kind of sci-fi-ness of it all. So, uh, it, yeah, you don't always need to uh, have a super serious sci-fi movie to watch. I, I think so, too. But, yeah. yeah. And right now, this movie, uh, thank God, was on. I didn't have to pay for it. It was on Tubi. <laughs> um, so you can catch it on Tubi if you've listened to this. And I think it also makes the rounds on, like... Um, I think it makes rounds on Prime or something like that, where you probably could stream this somewhere. I think it's worth a rent, at least, you know, why not? Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, overall, it's a perfectly fun little movie, and I, I enjoyed myself with it. But Devon, thank you so much for coming on my, my little show. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm definitely wanting to have you back on if you'd like to. Um, we'll have to just see what else you want to talk about. But, uh, you know, and I'm excited to hopefully go on your show to talk a little something something or other, talk shop, if you will. Uh, but do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, want to plug your socials, show, all that kind of stuff? Before of course. We start to wrap up in- yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it because I know you don't have too many guests on your show. So I, I, I was like, trying oh, to change I'm that. In, I'm in, I'm in a eclectic company for now. So I yes. appreciate it. It's uh, you, Pickens, good. and Jackson. So there you go. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. Uh, but yes, and you will definitely be uh, coming over onto my show uh, here shortly. Uh, that is yeah. the Spectre Cinema Club. It is a mm-hmm. horror podcast hosted by me and my buddy Garrett McDowell. And we uh, dive into the subgenres of horror. That's kind of the um, basis of the way that we break things down. We kind of have a theme each month, but then mm-hmm. uh, we break those down into either in even smaller subgenres uh, when we talk stuff. So, uh, just did a bunch of Evil Dead stuff. We did Ash vs. the Evil Dead, our first TV series, uh, and then doing Evil Dead Rise, of course. Um, and then uh, we got a we got a celebration of camp coming up for Pride Month. Uh, we got some uh, remake comparisons uh, that um, uh, someone here might be uh, getting into. So excited Maybe. for that. <laughs> 
Um, and you can find us on um, Apple, Spotify, all the things, episodes every Tuesday. And uh, you can find us on socials at Spectre Cinema on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And you can find me um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at underscore Daddy Disco. Yeah, I just followed you on Letterboxd, and it's fun to see what you like to watch oh, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I, so I, I'm just I, like, I wonder. <laughs> I love, I love stalking uh, Letterboxd profiles. I and uh, I also forgot. Uh, I also co uh, somewhat co-host on another podcast, the Pot and Pendulum Podcast, uh, oh, where okay. we dive into uh, horror franchises and we like tackle like a, a series all in a row. So you can find oh. me on uh, episodes over there as like a co-panelist love that all right well thank you so much devon for coming on the show and uh really appreciate it and i hope you have a good rest of your evening okay thank you thank you thanks as always if you'd like to get in touch with me you can do so at cult cinema circle at gmail.com if you'd like to give any movie recommendations give feedback on the show or if you'd just like to say hey i'm open to all of it you can also follow the show on instagram at cult cinema circle and on twitter at cult cinema circle i tend to announce the movies that i'm going to be covering and just interact with people on there if they want you can also follow me on letterboxd at jesse j-e-s-s-e kremp k-r-e-m-p all one word on that platform i tend to log the movies that I watch. I write little stupid reviews about them and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 1998's Disturbing Behavior. The new kid in Cradle Bay stumbles across something sinister about the town's method of transforming its unruly teens into upstanding citizens. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, we're all just a bunch of meats popsicles at the end of the day. Take care. Bye.